Good morning. We are really thrilled to worship together. Uh, boy, we had a great time at the men's retreat. Uh, they call it the Revive. Uh, and uh, it, was, it was fairly reviving. Not that I felt that dead before I went in, but I felt pretty good when I came out. And I uh, was thrilled to be part of such a, a great opportunity. If you're with us uh, online or here today for the uh, first time, we're studying through the book of Titus, and we're doing so because uh, uh, we, we just really believe that as the church is seeking a pastor, to actually take time to look at a, one of the books that's written to a pastor to give an idea as to what a pastor should look like. And last week, uh, we looked at some of the character qualities of a pastor, and, and we did so from the perspective of seeing how that we want someone to meet uh, a criteria, not for the reason to just simply say, we got a pastor this, 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 and this, but so that we can know that we have a pastor who has shown and proved himself in areas of character that we would like to see replicated in our own life or reinforced in our own life. Well, I stop short of verse 9, which confuses some people because in your Bibles it's kind of like a paragraph. But I started with verse 9 just today simply because now we're going to look at what does a pastor do or what should he do and what is he actually equipped with. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like to look at Titus chapter 1 and we're going to read then from verse 9 just to to, to look at uh, what uh, Paul is telling Titus he should look for. Uh, if, you, uh, if you look back up into verse 5, he says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now we'll skip down to, to verse 9 so you have context. And he's talking about that elder, overseer, pastor, as we talked last week. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word, it's called the word of God, as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, and that's where they are, uh, Titus is in, in Crete, so they call it Cretans, and the, one of these Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Okay? Uh, this testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and the unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Father, as we as we think of these words, and uh, some of them are pretty, pretty sharp uh, as far as how to, how to treat people and, and how to deal with situations, but there's a, a serious situation in Crete uh, with many who were opposing the scripture, and Titus is being exhorted to be careful and to use your word properly. And, and Father, as I, I think of our own uh, world our society, and of course, the influences for us aren't on what little tiny island we might be. 
the influences that impact the sheep of this church are from all around the world. There's access to things on the internet that uh, can easily lead them astray and cause them to uh, have disbelief or wrong belief in your word. And so all the more crucial for a pastor to strongly work your word and use your word. And it's all the more important for each individual to spend time knowing the word, not just knowing about your word, but knowing your word, knowing your doctrines, your teachings, knowing how it impacts our lives for eternity and, and for godliness here on earth. And so, Father, I pray that as this church seeks out a pastor and as the, as the search committee is in communication and conversations with, with men, uh, even now that you would uh, give them wisdom to ensure they're, they're uh, pursuing someone who not only has godly traits, but one who is capable to help your word be prominent, not just from the pulpit, but in the very lives of people. And God, we thank you for this privilege, and please guide our words today that we might do justice to the passage you've laid before us. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking at Titus and, and now the equipped pastor. Uh, to get an idea of what, uh, what we see here is that uh, Paul is telling him to be equipped uh, with this uh, uh, trustworthy word of God, the truth. But he uses the word that he might hold firm to. Before I look into that, I want to reinforce really what... Um, the early church started out as, and what that this is not something new that all of a sudden the apostles have done what the apostles need to do, and now we need to say, okay, you need to now start preaching the word. From the very beginning, we know that the people were devoted to the apostles' doctrine back in Acts chapter 2, but when you get to Acts chapter 6, and they have the conflict uh, with the uh, uh, Greek-speaking Jews, where their widows were not cared for properly in Acts chapter 6, and they come to them and say, we need some help with an administrative situation. We have people that have great needs. And as a result, the apostles said, we can't leave the preaching to wait tables. Uh, but instead they said, choose out among you men that are, they describe how they should be, and that they might be ministering that way, so that we can put our effort on prayer, and then he used the word ministry of the word. The word ministry, if, you're, if, you, if you look at it, it's very interesting, because of the word serve, to serve the word. Now they use the same word serve when they said we couldn't serve tables. So if you look at the contrast, that the men that were chose to help with the, uh, the widows were to serve tables, they needed to dedicate themselves to serve the scripture. So in a sense, they kind of set the table for us as far as uh, what we need in understanding what the Bible says. So you can see there's precedent in regard to this going way back to the beginning of the early church. And Paul is just reminding Titus that he needs to hold firm to this. Let's look at a few words in regard to this, 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 uh, this phrase that he's using. He says, first of all, he should hold fast. Interesting concept of holding fast. I try to just tumble it around my head because it has the idea of getting yourself 
right in front of something, okay? And you're right there. Also has some connotations of hanging on to something. And I, these are the words that came to my mind. Position yourself against. Hold in the hand. Shadowing and glued to. Uh, the last two were words or phrases that uh, I really identified with when I was trying to learn how to play basketball. Now, I could tell you that I did a good job playing basketball. I can't tell you that because I'm not supposed to lie. Uh, but I did go out for basketball, and I did have a coach for a little while till I quit. Uh, but the idea was when we were being taught how to play basketball, we were told to uh, uh, do man-on-man basketball. Now, my preference was zone defense. Okay, if you understand what zone defense, I just kind of take a little particular area, and if someone's in my area, I go, you know, kind of like that. Uh, but, but, you know, but this man-on-man defense was, you're just right in their face. They move, you move. And that's how I see when Paul is talking to Titus to hold fast, to, to make sure the Word of God doesn't, uh, uh, in other words, uh, you go where it goes. That's so important in our society today, isn't it? We're so prone to just, if the Bible's here and it's going in this direction, that maybe we'll just go over here or, or, or whatever. But, but the idea of holding fast uh, in this, this position. Uh, Jesus used a similar word when he was in, on the Sermon on the Mount. And on the Sermon on the Mount, he is sharing about the fact that you cannot, you cannot love money. You can't put your trust in money. And he says it this way, using the same word. It says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Just as Jesus was trying to help them understand we can't be divided because there's going to be an element of devotion. Paul was encouraging Titus, be devoted to the word of God. To ensure the word of God is right there in his life, that he might be devoted to it, that he might hold fast to it, that he might keep his eye on it, that he might ensure that he is faithful to it. And that when he compares how he's thinking and how he wants to lead the church and how he wants to uh, interact with people, that the scriptures are what's right before his face. The scriptures is are what are guiding him through this situation. So they hold fast, and why should he? Because he should be able to trust it. This word trustworthy or faithful uh, is one that is found throughout all the scriptures in a variety of different fashions. I'll tell you two of my favorites uh, because I spend much time working with people who are, who are struggling with situations in their life. They're struggling with the, the temptations that come into life. They, they, they want to have victory in their life. And they, they often look to themselves to try to figure out, where can I get the change so I won't do this again? Matter of fact, it wasn't too long ago I was talking with a, with a young man, and he saw great progress, and he, uh, it was at one point, at one time in his life, now he's way over here, and the things that have changed are just amazing. But he asked that question, what happens if I relapse? What happens if I go back? Because it's a a fair statement because, in a sense, we struggle with being faithful. But God is faithful. His word is faithful. And here's the the passage in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There's no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful. 
See, the whole context of the, the challenges and the temptations we have are put in the context of not how faithful we are, but how faithful God is. Uh, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but, when, but with the temptation, also make a way of escape that you might be able to bear up underneath it. Now, for those times when we fail and we don't find that way of escape, we don't take that way of escape, and we find ourselves in sin, uh, John says it this way, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, if I can say it very plainly, this is faithful, this is true, because our God is faithful, our God is true. And this is his message to us so we can better understand him and we can better understand ourselves so that we can have eternal life with him and so that we can live godly while we're here in this, this life. And so we look at this from the perspective of a pastor who is faithful to the faithful word of God. It's interesting that word true is so relevant in this day and age. Nothing can be said or printed that there is not some fact checker, right? If you, if you, if you say, no one give a speech except for a fact checker come behind. Now, my question is, who's the fact checker of the fact checkers, you know? A fact checker regular, yeah. But, uh, but the idea is that that's what we're, we're, we're struggling with in this society. We don't know who to trust, who's saying the facts, you know, who's got the truth. What, what, what can we believe? And, uh, you know, we look at it as if that's the first time that's ever happened, and our society is the first ones to struggle with this. The people at Crete struggled to know who to listen to. You'll see later on in the passage, as we read today, there were many, not just a few verses, voices, there were many voices were contradicting and making it confusing. And you know, how hard that was on these new believers that wanted to know, how do I venture out on godliness? How do I act like a child of God? How do I please him? How do I continue in uh, growing as a disciple in this process when there's so many wrong voices? And Paul reminds them, here's the truth. You got a faithful word of God. So that it was faithful, and then he says to repeat it, as you were taught, or as taught. That Titus, as we've mentioned before, has spent time with Paul. Paul called him a son in the faith. Paul talked about how much he comforted him. Uh, and that there was a mutual relationship of exhorting, encouraging, and uh, Titus grew up in his faith under all that, under the Apostle Paul. And so he's saying, what was written... Or what uh, was taught, uh, he says, now teach that to others. Paul says the same thing to Timothy. Similar situation. Difference between the two is that Timothy was, was part Gentile, part Jew, and had certain Jewish responsibilities because of his heritage, uh, where Titus was a, a Greek man and didn't have that. So he is, he is now responding to Paul as a disciple, as a Greek man. Timothy, we see these words. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The whole idea of hearing and teaching are, are actually words that are very, very common to us and, and used a lot in the scriptures. The word that really got my 
attention was the word entrusted. Uh, I, I like the choice of that, that word because it, it's different than what I'm doing right now. Okay, Right now, I am sharing the word of God and pleased to do so and glad you're here to listen to it because I know it's important because God has commanded it and I know it has impact. But I am sharing the word of God as believing that you have ears to hear and will respond to it. However, the imagery I see that Paul has given Timothy is that he is, they are entrusting the word of God. Now, think of this imagery where I might just be up here and, and maybe if I had a football here, I'd pull it out and I'd just throw it and someone would possibly catch it or it might fall on the floor or might hit someone in the eye. I don't know what all might happen. But let's just say instead of that, I wanted to entrust the football to you. I would want to come up to you and be near you and give it to you. And that's the concept of that word in the Greek is that it's, it's almost like coming and right at your knees. And it also has the concept of setting a table. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it, with the Acts chapter 6 concept where the apostle said we must minister the word. We must set the table, if you would. And so what you see, Paul exhorting Timothy in this case as a pastor to take what you've heard and entrust it to others. Why do you have to entrust it? Because you've got to make sure they got it. It's not this, this little telephone game, you know, where you whisper in one person's ear and they whisper in the next person's ear and you kind of hope that by the time you get around the circle that the, that the person got the same message and we know that it rarely works out, you know, especially if you've got a deaf person like me in the, the situation because <laughs> I don't hear whispers at all. Uh, but, the, but the idea is that he's saying you're entrusted with it because you need to then be able to teach it to others. Uh, I, I remember the when I was assistant to the pastor, and I remember uh, he was, uh, the, the pastor was going to tell me, okay, Scott, I want you to help with communion, to lead communion. Now, I'll tell you what, I had done communion many times from the time I was saved as a, uh, as a teenager, so I'd, I'd seen it, but it was different when he said, now, you're going to lead it. Now, all of a sudden, I started thinking, what do I do first? We, is it the bread first or the, the grape juice, or what do I what do? I do? And all, that kind of, all of a sudden, I realized I didn't have this. Okay, I had an idea of it, I'd I, I seen it and such, but there's, there's something about the importance of taking the word and not only just telling someone about it, but entrusting them with it and helping them have enough information so that they understand it, so they can adequately teach someone else it. It's kind of this concept of mentoring, it's kind of this concept of discipling and making disciplers so that they can pass the word on. And our goal is to not only teach to be understood, but teach so somebody else can teach, so that they can share what has been taught. And so Titus is being exhorted, repeat it. Don't just know it. Just don't believe it. Don't just get so uh, involved with, I got to know everything about it, and you should desire that. But why? Why? God's going to be impressed that you know all this stuff. Are you able to share it with others? Are you able and willing to impart it and to be just like, this is what we have here, kind of, kind of response. And that's what Titus is doing. And so I exhort you, as you consider, as you consider a pastor, 
you consider a pastor that not only does well right here, okay, and he needs to, but he needs to do well in your lives. And you need to feel like and believe that he's entrusting you with the word of God so that you can stand against the things that we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. Now look what else we find in here. Equipped to build. So you got, you got he's, the, the pastor's equipment is the word of God. He's equipped to build. Uh, this is uh, still in verse 9. It's going to take us forever to get through this message. No, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Uh, let's break that up a little bit. The word instruction is not what you would think. As I looked at that and I thought the word instruction, it's actually the word exhort. Your, your uh, uh, version of the Bible might have exhort. But as you look at the word that it came, comes from, it's parakaleo. Uh, and if you remember anything about the Holy Spirit in John chapters 14 through 16, where Jesus is talking about and calls it parakaletos, the, the one called alongside to help. Or we also call him the comforter. So the word that you have is that uh, Titus is looking for elders that are capable of uh, coming alongside and, you know, to, uh, to you know, call alongside those, to, to comfort, to exhort. And my mind went to, to this verse as I thought about how is this used in a way that I can really track with. I can track with taking information and giving it to somebody else and making sure they get it. But one of the things that God has really done for me is he's, he's shown me from his word how it, how it impacts my life and how that my life doesn't have to go down to a certain track. That I can take all the things I've experienced in my past, all the things that might haunt me, all the things that might be difficult for me to work through, the things that might be scars or whatever they are, the hardships in life, what 2020 all invests, you know, what that all really represents. And uh, he says this in, uh, in that Second Corinthians, he's talking about the fact that God comforts us. And he says, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So what you have here is an encouragement from Paul to Titus. Find people that can not only use the word, but is able to use the word in such a way that they exhort others to build their lives. To be, to be comforted, to take... And this is where I think that the reason he needs to understand the word is so that he can really impart it in the same way. When we go to come, come along somebody who's going through a trial, we can give them comfort because we know the God of comfort. Same thing true when we're ministering the word of God and hopefully when you give comfort, you do the, use the word of God. But the idea is it's transferred on because it's experienced. And the same word used here Parakaleo uh, is that word in 2 Corinthians 1.4, translated comfort. So is to give instruction of, uh, of, of the sound doctrine. So when we look at the building up, I want you to turn your attention to Ephesians chapter 4. I don't have this on the slide. It's a little lar- longer passage. But I wanted to, to look at it simply because it has that portion where it talks about the gifting of a pastor to you. All right? And uh, so we'll we'll look at that in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start at verse uh, 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers 
Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's a lot of building. That's a pretty, pretty tall order. When you look at all the things that are designed, that that's why God has gifted this position, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro, by the waves and carried about, and here's what I'm looking for, by every wind of doctrine, the, the unsound doctrine. The reason we are equipped to teach and to train is so that people can mature so that they can hold up against the false doctrine that is blowing people around. And he goes on to say, describe it, doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. And then we're encouraged, rather speaking, the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so it builds itself up in love. And the, the emphasis there is that in the midst of all that growing, in the midst of all that ser- serving, in the midst of all that which you see in there is the importance of having that sound doctrine. So we're not tossed to and fro in this, in this particular situation. So as we, uh, as, as we look now to the, to the next yeah, is, is that he's now looking at equipped to defend. So you're building, and he's got that positive point. Now, as I, as I think about this, he's now talking about the defend, the rebuking. In the same verse, he talks about the comforting. Now, you can see the imagery of sheep, okay? But I don't know how many of you have really witnessed someone working with their sheep. But you probably witnessed someone working with their dog, Okay? Have you seen someone working with their dog? You ever seen someone talking with their dog? You're such a good boy, aren't you? Yes, yes, yes. Who's the good boy? Yeah, we got this one kind of voice for that dog, don't we? And, you know, you're, you're not going to talk to anybody like that. No, you don't get a pastor to talk to you like that, okay? But, but uh, that's that voice of the comfort and such. But you got that same dog, and all of a sudden... Uh, you're taking that dog for a walk, and up comes this other dog that's snarling and, uh, and going to, you know, k- take a bite out of your dog. And, boy, that, that little nice voice like this gets different, okay? Uh, all of a sudden, get away from my dog. You, shoo, shoo, get out of here. That's the contrast. The contrast of how you lovingly build up in the lives of others and how you have to get, have to get your outside voice. You have to get your... your mom voice, if you would, in this situation and say, no, this is mama bear here, and uh, this is not going to happen. That's what Paul is talking about, is that the pastor not only has to have the ability to take the word and figure out how to uh, uh, help people grow and to help them know about about Jesus and know the word of God, he needs to be able to stand strong on it. He needs to be able to stand up to those that are teaching the wrong things and are willing to. To, to do so. Uh, some, of the, some of the words that uh, kind of go with this one is that uh, the word rebuke uh, has, has the concept of, of just uh, uh, you know, going, going against to, to uh, 
uh, to, to put them in their place, to silence those type of things. Uh, but the word contradict is the one I wanted to emphasize. In contradicting, it's not just that they don't believe it. It doesn't mean that they got some different ideas on it. They're voicing things with the intent of causing others to stumble. And they need to be corrected. They need to uh, have that opposition dealt with. Let's look what it says that this uh, um, passage here says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. As, as, we, as we look at this portion of the scripture, from verses 10 through 16, is really illustration, and this is why I tied it together with verse 9, it's illustration of why it's so important that the word of God be held onto by the pastor, that the pastor be equipped and capable of utilizing the word so that people can understand it, transfer it to others, because there are many that are insubordinate, uh, that they're just not willing to align themselves up underneath. And the context here is that these are people that have the ear of the people in the church, possibly even in the church. These are ones that uh, uh, are not just out on the fringe and, and are not, uh, people just don't take any consideration to them. They're just making their noise. That's not the case here. This is, these are individuals that are having influence on the people there. So it's not just some hypothetical situation that there might be some people out there that might say something that could cause you to stumble. You know, Paul is saying there are many people that are on your island that are just out there to be insubordinate. They, they know what is right and they're not willing to line themselves underneath it. They're empty talkers. They're not given the truth and they're deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Circumcision party is very uh, interesting. It's not, not, not a party at all. It's just a group of people that had a belief that an Old Testament right needed to be continued on into Christianity. Uh, this this particular thing is called the circumcision. That's something that Paul had Timothy do because he was a descendant of a Jew and because of his association with his Jewish heritage, it was appropriate. Uh, but it was not appropriate when it dealt with the concept of eternity and of what Christianity is all about and what salvation entails. So when Titus was pressured for that, and you see this recorded in Galatians chapter 2, Paul said, no, no. He stood up to those who are attempting to push it and said it is not right. It is not something according to the scriptures. It is not necessary for salvation. You're wanting to add something to salvation and it's wrong. And he would not allow it to happen. So he stood up to that situation. Uh, the, he goes on to say this, they must be silenced. Uh, that there is a, a need to silence them. Uh, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching shameful with for shameful gain um, that what they ought not to teach, um, that they were upsetting people. They were wrong. They were wrong. They had, they had erroneous teaching, and it was impacting the lives of people. So there's a need for silencing. Uh, they, they ought not to do these. These are false doctrines. And we can see these creep up in our um, our lives as well. 
as to whether the Bible is actually sufficient for how we can live out our sanctification and how that we can live in godliness. Do we need something other than the scriptures to help us be right with God? Do we need something other than Jesus Christ to be able to have eternal life that we need to add those things? Are, are there ways in which people are are, are teaching us that we, we need to have our best life now and we can if we just have this certain faith and these things can go on. Now, there's these types of things that are coming up in that false doctrine that needs to be silenced. Let's go quickly as, to, as, our, as our time is going. I want to just continue to uh, get through these last few verses because they are important for us to look at what's our culture. I thought it was interesting here. Uh, Paul is talking about the Cretans, a prophet of the uh, they're always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Talking with Wyman the other day, he says, there's a paradox. And I go, what paradox? I don't get it. He says, well, if they're always, if they're all liars, all the Cretans are liars, and one of the Cretans said they were liars, is he telling the truth? And I thought, Wyman, you just think way over my head. But at any rate, the, the idea is, is he's just talking, what's their culture? And if you were to say, what's your culture? What's the culture of our country? What is the typical person like? What is, what is driving them? Are they, uh, uh, how would you describe what you're up against in your society as it compares to the scriptures? And uh, so we have, in general, some things that we're up against, uh, and we ought to be concerned about that. And Paul says, this testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commandments of people who turn away from the truth. I think what's encouraging here is that there is an intention here. There are going to be those that are wrong in their faith, but the idea is that you want to pursue. You need to silence them so they don't continue the, the falseness, uh, the falsehoods, but you also need to work with them and help them know the truth. But notice how it is, it is very, the word is used here is uh, rebuke them sharply. I think that this is an intenseness. This is, this is a desire to make sure it gets done quickly. You don't hint about it. You have to sit down and talk specifically. This is what the word of God says. This is what you're saying. They do not match. Sadly, we had that responsibility years ago, first time in a, as a pastor, and I'm working with uh, one of our church members, and they've come across some cult, you know, some, some cult members, and uh, they want to join up with them, and their comment was, well, they believe the same thing we do, and I said, I know this group of people, and I know they don't. Let's do this. You get their, uh, get their missionaries, and uh, I'll get together with another one from our church, and we'll sit down. And you be there, and we'll go over critical doctrines, and we will look at them, and we will ask these people who are telling you that they're just like us, what they mean by that. And as we went through each of those critical doctrines of who Jesus is, what salvation entails, all these various things, we would have to say, do you believe this? And they would say no. I said, and we talked to her and said, do you understand the difference of what they're teaching with a Bible teach? And she says, yes, I do. And so when we got all done, and, she, and we said, now, you know that they're not the same as what you've been taught from the scriptures. And she says, yes, I do. And the saddest part about it is she said, but they've treated me so well, and I just want to be with them. And she was willing to walk away after being shown. And it was, it was done sharply, not sharply in the sense that we were mean, we were gentle, and uh, we, we had to, but we had to be sharp with the word. 
and we had to just say plainly, this is what the Bible says, this is what you're believing, and it's not right. And they had to be, uh, uh, and we were, we were a little more sharp with, the, <laughs> with their false teachers than we were her, obviously, uh, but the, the idea is the goal was to transform. I had very little hope that they would transform, but we wanted her uh, not to uh, continue down that path. And uh, this is where this comes into play significantly is that at times you have to do just what we did in that small little town as we were working with this uh, confused young lady is that we need to help them differentiate between what is the pure doctrine and what is false. It says, to the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, for both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Pure is that concept of unmixed. It's not, not confused. It is, the scriptures are pure. They, they're not confused and convoluted with other concepts. And uh, that the pure, all things are pure. If we continue to work with our heart and we have the pure word of God, what comes out will come out pure. That's how, the, how it works. And uh, he says, though, that those that are defiled and unbelieving, uh, nothing is pure. Minds and conscience, et cetera. And the word defiled is the, is the concept of something's been dipped or stained in something. Um, I've, got, I've got a ready illustration for you on that. Didn't know I had it until Pastor Kyle told me, you better wear your jacket and keep it on. I was in the restroom, and there's this big old coffee stain all down this thing. So I've already told you what it is. Marty's going crazy now. <laughs> <laughs> but but the point is that coffee stain I didn't know it was there but but it it is defiled this this sleep same kind of defiling in regard to it and so as as a result uh, I, I get a bigger image of what it's like but imagine okay let's just say I I am prone to have to wear these glasses now let's just say if I were to dip them into something and it stained them terribly. Then if I put them back on, everything that I would see would be impacted by that stain. That's the concept Paul's talking about here. Is that when we go down the wrong road of having the wrong doctrine, it is going to bear out. It's going to have bad fruit. Matter of fact, Jesus said it this way uh, when he's talking about the wolf in sheep's clothing. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. So sometimes our role with the Word of God, whether you're a pastor or sometimes as you're, as you're studying the Word of God and you're seeing false teaching and, and such, your role is to help people discern what's the difference between what the Bible says and what you're hearing. Do you do that for yourself? Do you do that for your kids? Do you sit down and say, hey, did you just hear that? How, how does that resonate with what you know with the Bible? Well, what is that, what that person said? Is that something you think that really we as Christians should do? Is that what the Bible says? Is that what godliness is? And that, that's how part of our discernment comes, is we can expose that thing is not. It's stained, and it will see things through that, that stained portion. So as we close this, think of this. It says, the pastor is equipped with the word so that we can be equipped with the word. And that's what you really need to think of this as. I mean, it's great to have a pastor who knows a lot about the Word, okay? But you want a pastor that knows a lot about the Word that is willing to help you know a lot about the Word.
so that you can help somebody else know a lot about the word. I'll repeat the, the thing that we read in Ephesians chapter 4, the portion there. It says, so that we no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Father, as we close our time together, we, we have, uh, I'm preaching a church that has had a solid belief on your word for a long time. There's no question that from the pulpit comes your word. And uh, this, is, this is so true. And there's no doubt that the people in the pew are, are good students of your word. But, but the desire is, is to, to establish something to bring new people in, ones who have not heard your word, that they, that they might know the truth of your word, that it might go from faith to knowledge to godliness, and that we might be equipped to how, somehow uh, Im, you know, just be able to share this with them and entrust them with these truths so that they not only just hear the words from us, they will be able to see that in our lives, they'll be able to talk with us about it, ask us questions about it, be able to put all these truths into their lives so it'll spill out from their life to others. And so, God, I pray that regardless of what we are up against, what teachings we hear, uh, what things we read, that we would ensure that we are looking at your word, that we will hold fast to it, that we will ensure that it is, (laughs) that we are not moving from it and we are right there, glued to it, shadowing it, through these times that are so deceptive. And Father, may we be actively standing on your promises and standing on your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.